Hello, my name is Conrad Kinch and this is Send 3 and 4 pence, a semi-regular podcast about gaming, books and the law as we shamble hopefully towards eternity. Well, I suppose we should probably kick off this uh, inaugural uh, episode of Send 3 and 4 pence with a quick review. The uh, thing we're going to review today is the Scarlet Heroes Quick Start set by Kevin Crawford, which is a 32-page introduction to Kevin Crawford's uh, Scarlet Heroes uh, RPG. Um, Now, if Kevin Crawford sounds familiar to you, that's probably because he's the chap behind Stars Without Number, the uh, original D&D-inspired science fiction role-playing game and a number of other uh, successful stuff. A, um, an author described by no less uh, than noted industry figure Gareth Hanrahan as ridiculously prolific. Um, I've only recently come to, uh, to uh, look at his work, but um, I've, uh, I, he, he seems to have pumped out a great deal of stuff in uh, quite a short time. But moving on, the Scarlet Heroes Quick Start, uh, I got it from DriveThruRPG. It is absolutely free, gratis, and for nothing. It doesn't cost you a bean. Um, so I would advise you to have a look um, at, uh, at the very least. So what you get for uh, your handshake, effectively, is a 32-page introduction to the Scarlet Heroes uh, role-playing game. And what distinguishes the Scarlet Heroes game is is that it is a game specifically written for one dungeon master and one player. So it is not a solo game, though there are some solo rules in it, um, in the full game, that is. Um, But uh, it is specifically designed for one player, one DM uh, play written by Kevin Crawford, with illustrations by Luigi Castelliani, Earl Gear, David Johnson, Eric Lofgren, Joyce Moreria, and Miguel Santos. Uh, forgive me if I haven't um, pronounced those quite exactly, but there's quite a lot of art in this for a, a free product, and it's very nice. Uh, in a, It's almost exclusively black and white, except for the co- cover, but it uh, sort of presents the setting as this sort of melange of uh, sort of uh, Indonesia, uh, China, Japan. The setting itself is sort of faux oriental, um, you know, sort of uh, generically Far East fantasy uh, sort of setup in the same way that sort of D&D is kind of faux Europe. It's not quite England. It's not quite Germany. But uh, it's a sort of a mix of a lot of things. This is very much that sort of thing. But drawing on uh, Far Eastern um, uh, influences rather than Europe. Um, so the rules themselves are essentially original D&D. There are four classes, fighter, magic user, cleric and thief. Um, you roll your, your stats, uh, 46, keep three. Um, now, what? there are a couple of interesting little wrinkles. Uh, there's a de facto skill system called traits. So what you, what you do is you have three points to, to put amongst traits. 
um, or you can, depending on your class, roll randomly. And they're essentially a description of a background like grizzled sailor or um, disgraced investigator or um, a gifted scholar. That th- Those would all be backgrounds. And essentially, that is a, it's a very simple mechanic what you do is you have uh you have a trait it's rated from one to three humans get a bonus to the the number of trait points that they have you roll 2d8 and if you meet a, a difficulty number the typical one is nine you add your trait in the event that it would be relevant so a sailor for example would have a bonus to sailing a scholar would have uh, a bonus to trying to determine what uh, an ancient inscription might mean um that sort of thing um and it's a quite sort of broad loosey goosey kind of um kind of uh way of dealing with a plethora of situations without having to get bogged down in an extensive skill list so i think there's there's a lot to be said for it there one tremendous thing about the uh, background rule that I didn't realise at first is that it ties your character into the setting in a very uh, comprehensive way because while the, the, the characteristics, the, the backgrounds have, you know, they have, there's a variety of different ones there, by manipulating the uh, background list that players can choose from or they can roll on, you tie them into the settings. So, you know, uh, while a skill list might say, oh, I don't know, um, I have mechanical repair at plus four, I have uh, read runes at plus five, that does, you know, that, you know, that says something. But if you look at it, back, if you have a background of I'm a charcoal burner, that comes with a whole set of skills, but let's say you're in a, a setting which is like Japan, that uh, background, it has a social role, it has a, a a number of skills that are attached to it. If you had another background, let's say a member of the Shinsungemi militia, um, that comes with a background uh, and a lot of baggage. So in a very compact package, you're giving a player you come from somewhere in particular you have a particular social role and you have a particular set of skills uh, that go with that role and it's an incredibly elegant way of doing it it, it took me a while to appreciate just how clever that was um, and uh, I think it's definitely a mechanic I'll be stealing for other games should I ever get to run a role-playing game again. Um, but uh, I just think it's a really slick piece of design. Um, it does use descending armour class, which uh, I take a, uh, a certain nostalgic fondness in. So combat is handled by you take your attack bonus, you add the opponent's armor class. You roll a d twenty, and if you score more than tw- and if that it totals more than twenty, you've hit. Um, so, so far, so pretty much basic D and D. Now, the thing that distinguishes Scarlet Heroes from most other retro clones or original D and D alikes are how it handles. Uh, damage and a thing it calls the fray dice so damage dice are rolled as normal uh, i think a long sword 
longsword does d8, a dagger does d4, a club does d6, much as in normal Dungeons and Dragons. However, uh, your average character will have six to eight hit points depending on class. Um, but you roll a damage dice and if you get a one, you cause no damage. On a two to five, you cause one point of damage. On a six to nine, you cause two points of damage. And on a 10 plus, you cause four points of damage. So a character can actually sustain a fighter for example would have eight eight hit points starting can actually take eight blows um from a a a standard weapon and probably be fine um so the other thing is that the monsters don't have hit points as such they have hit points equal to their hit dice so an orc will have one hit point uh you know something more substantial like a number hulk which i think has four hit dice would have four hit points so it's it's the 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 combat is actually sort of a bit nippier because uh the the amount of damage required to put something down is not that high and players do have other things at their disposal there's also the fray die and the fray die is a additional damage dice additional damage die that uh, the player can roll every turn that they are in combat and this is essentially to allow the kind of explosive Conan the Barbarian sort of archetypical ninja sort of situation where the hero leaps in amongst a a group of enemies and uh, you know sort of takes out one guard over there whacks another guard over there and you know sort of plows through a, a, a series of faceless extras before taking on the big bad so essentially a warrior i think rolls a d6 uh, a thief rolls a d4 i believe um, and that is simply extra damage that they roll every turn and can apply to anyone in the combat so it just allows that single hero to plow through extras much more quickly um there's a nice little wrinkle that um, spellcasters get a relatively low fray die, but depending on what they roll, they can apply the damage across a number of targets. So if, for example, a spellcaster gets a, a six on his fray die and causes two points of damage, he could zap two goblins instead of one, uh, I suppose with bolts of eldritch power or uh, or the like. Um, moving on to spellcasters, the spellcasting is very much fancy in D&D. Um, however, the spell list is adapted and very... It's obviously a truncated one because this, this starter kit only allows you to play first level characters, which is fine. Um, but it, the spells are not your standard D&D spells. There's a... Um, there's a they're sort of integrated into the setting and that they have that kind of um, air of oriental mysticism about them. The one that particularly struck me was a, a clerical spell, which uh, it was a first level clerical spell, which allowed you to uh, conduct a, a brief funeral over uh, someone who had died. But uh, not only did it sort of commend their, their soul to the almighty, but uh, it also made that their, their body completely useless for necromantic purposes, which I thought was a really excellent idea. Um, 
uh, sort of very much evocative of the setting. Uh, the setting itself is, as I said, the uh, faux oriental setting of uh, Kevin Crawford's book Red Tide, which is a setting book for Dungeons and Dragons, set on an archipelago of islands that have been sort of uh, full of refugees from this um, this natural disaster, the Red Tide, or sort of a giant supernatural tsunami. And uh, it has a sort of Indonesian slash Japanese kind of feel. Um, but you know, I'll uh, make of that what you will. Um, myself, when I've run Scarlet Heroes, I've come up with my own setting, which was essentially faux Japan. Um, but the the uh, the resources that Kevin Crawford provides, uh, you know, would easily map onto any setting. Really, uh, he's a big believer in random tables and a big believer in being able to generate resources on the fly, which is very useful. Um, and those are that there's a number of those presented in the quick start guide for the dungeon master, so that even in this uh very brief introduction, there's uh there are some resources for you to draw on. There's also a two page mini dungeon, uh which I've run and is excellent. Um, I really enjoyed it, uh, and there's some uh there's some quite uh. There's some nice touches in it. Um, just some thoughts on the one player, one dungeon master uh, aspect. The rules themselves very much support that kind of play. There's one mechanic which I haven't mentioned called defying death, which is when a player finds themselves in a situation where they're doomed, they're gone, they have fallen into the pit trap, they have been struck down by the ogre, uh, the oni has uh, you know, come from the seven hells and is about to... Uh, drag them into the fiery pit um, they uh, they can defy death and this is essentially a push your luck mechanic you roll a die the die gets bigger each time and uh, if you succeed you're fine but you're less likely to see, succeed next time so that the player is sort of uh, dealing with an ever decreasing amount of resources and there's a lot of charm to that. I think it's it's quite successful. We used it in play, um, and uh, I I really quite liked it, and it gave that sort of desperate, edge of your seat, uh, lone hero, sort of uh, the the Kurosawa movie protagonist who survives just by the skin of his teeth, uh, sort of feel to to proceedings, and I really enjoyed that, um. Just some thoughts on one player, one DM. Uh, one of the things that... There are two things that struck me about uh, that kind of play, which I'd never really done before. It was Firstly, it's fast. Because you're not in a group, you're not having to discuss decisions. You're just deciding and moving forward. Um, and there, there isn't a chance for a player to sort of hide in the group and dodge responsibility for doing something. Things proceed at quite a clip. I mean, we proceed. We moved through a dungeon which I expected to take two and a half hours, in an hour and a half, and play was was constant. Um, that it does feel weirdly intense at some points. You get the feeling that 
there's nowhere for either the player or the GM to, or the DM to hide because you're on show all the time. The spotlight never moves from you. So you actually get through a great deal of role playing or or uh, or exploration or combat or whatever very quickly because there's no one else to share the limelight with. I think whether you're going to enjoy that is a matter of taste or not. I quite liked it, but it's a different experience from uh, a group of players talking over each other and discussing things and generally, uh, you know, having the crack. But if you, I think you should try it. And if you like it, there's a lot to recommend it. Um, but be aware that at times it can feel a bit intimate in a way that I haven't felt a role-playing game to be before and that may make some people uncomfortable. I think that, that that's a, a situation that will basically come down to personal preference and you'll you'll simply have to try it and see. Um, One thing that struck me about uh, Scarlet Heroes and specifically a one-player, uh, one-DM uh, game is that one of the most usual concerns about a D&D or a D&D type game or an RPG in general is that all concerns of balance go completely out the window. Um, it actually doesn't matter whether a, a wizard or magic user is unbalanced compared to a fighter or a fighter is unbalanced compared to a thief. Because there is only one player, you're not competing for the limelight. So there is no sense that someone's character choice is less optimal than somebody else's because there is only one player and that that person is not competing uh, against anyone else and because the only people they're up against are the NPCs and the NPCs are not the main character uh, you know there that that sense of um needing mechanical balance uh goes completely out the window it was not something that I expected to uh, to see from the game when I read it, but it was something that became crystal clear to me as soon as we uh, started playing it. One point that uh, bears consideration is that because uh, Scarlet Heroes is an adaptation of uh, original D&D and the rules sort of slot uh, one uh, player into the shoes of, 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 of the more usual group of players there's no reason you can't use pre-published material for a larger party to uh, run a, uh, a game of Scarlet Heroes um, the, the rules specifically cater for that because of the, 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 the defying death mechanic and because of the fray dice and because of the way that the, the damage has been adapted. You don't actually have to change anything about the pre-published material itself. All the work has been done in the sort of the basic rules. Um, so uh, you can use your, uh, your D&D material um, or whatever retro clone or whatever... Uh, D twenty game you you fancy, uh, to, uh, for your Scarlet Heroes game, and there shouldn't be any issue with that. Um, I think there's a lot of D twenty Rokugan stuff that was done, uh, when there was a D twenty version of Legend of the Five Rings, 
that would be well worth looking at, as would any of the um, previously published Oriental Adventure stuff from back in first edition days. And I think that has also been updated in third ed and may even have been updated for fifth ed. So there is material there if you want to look at it um, or use it. And uh, you won't need to convert it in any way. You can simply take your, your Scarlet Heroes uh, character and, uh, and run with it, which is a, a huge advantage. Uh, so in conclusion, Scarlet Heroes costs you nothing and gives you a chance to uh, try a style of play that a lot of people won't have tried before. It's well presented. Uh, Kevin Crawford's design and uh, layout chops are definitely on display here. The The book is well presented. Um, it's very clear about what it's setting out to do. It sets out its stall early and it makes its case fairly clearly. Um, this style of play isn't going to be for everyone, but if, if you're looking for a way to spend two hours with a friend, this is, uh, you could do a lot worse than giving this a go. Um, I would say, uh, if I was required to give it a rating, I'd say I'd give this five stars out of five because it sets out its goals very clearly right at the start. And it hits all of them. This isn't a complete uh, RPG. You're not going to be able to play more than one or two adventures without having to, to, to buy the, 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 the basic book. The, but you'll certainly get a good taste of what this style of play is before you, uh, uh, by, by playing through this. And given that it's absolutely filthy, stinking free, it's hard to argue with that. Thank you very much. have been listening to Send 3 and 4 Pence, a semi-regular podcast about gaming, books and the law. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share, like and subscribe, and most importantly, tell your friends that you liked it. And if you didn't like this podcast, please like, share and subscribe, and most importantly, tell your friends that you liked it. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye.